For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. Yeah, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're talking about releasing the power of God. So last week we spent a lot of time talking about this issue of um, what it's like to be what Paul called a minister of the new covenant, a servant called by God to work um, under the new way God has provided for us to relate to him through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the larger context of this here is that Paul's credentials, his theology, his teaching are being questioned by the church that he helped start in Corinth because he had written them um, a, a hard letter of truth and love about things that needed to change in their community. And also, people were coming in, and this was typical, after Paul would leave a city, people would come in and try to convince people that they need to forget about Paul, they need to forget about grace, that Paul is teaching easy believism. And they're play, they, these people come in and they were preying on the immature and vulnerable community in the city of Corinth, trying to turn them away from the teachings of Jesus Christ by attacking the character and the teaching of Paul, saying that his message is about easy believism and uh, that they need to obey the laws, obey the rules, and practice religion. This whole thing about relationship is wrong. And so Paul, in chapter 3, we saw is really emphasizing this new covenant relationship. We ended last week with the last verse in chapter 3, uh, verse 18, which he says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as, the Lord, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And so that verse is kind of hard to understand unless you went through the entire context of what we were talking about last week. That Jesus' death made new intimacy with God possible for everyone. In the old covenant, Moses was like God's representative to the people. He would go up on the mountain by himself. He would speak with the Lord and come down with a glowing face because of being in such proximity to God. And, that's the, and he was God's representation to the people. But because Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins, we all can go up the mountain. We all can be in the presence of God, speaking with him as he is our loving father, because Jesus has reconciled us to him. Each one of us can be a, a, a representative connected personally with God. And that's part of the beauty of the new covenant relationship that Paul is pointing to here. Now that raises questions because the Bible clearly teaches that in order to access this new covenant, all we need to do is ask Jesus into our lives. That Jesus went to the cross and he took the, the wrath, the punishment for our sins upon himself. And that what God requires is, is that we receive his forgiveness. That he doesn't kick down the door of our life and, and force us into a relationship with him. But there's an act of will, an act of volition on our part where we need to go to God and say, I realize that I have sin. I realize that I am inadequate and that I need your forgiveness. 
And so we don't earn it by going to church, by giving our money, by doing good deeds, by uh, saying certain prayers over and over and over again. None of that is how the God of the Bible actually works. It's about free love received as a gift. And it raises some important questions like, well, you know, the, the opponents of Paul and the opponents of grace today would say, well, that's just easy believism. That's just why would anyone live a moral life if you're forgiven no matter what you do? Morality is hard. It's not easy to do what's right. It's easy to do what's comfortable. It's easy to do what's selfish. What's easier for a human being than to do what feels good? To do what reduces pain, right? But those things aren't always the best things to do. In fact, they're often the harder things to do. So if God has forgiven me as a free gift, and I can never lose that salvation, and I don't have to earn it, and he doesn't require that I do anything, God doesn't have a gun to my head telling me, uh, you better be good or I'm going to destroy you. Why be good? Why do that? Let's just accept God's forgiveness and live an easy life. That's essentially the argument that the opponents of Paul were making in Corinth, saying this thing that Paul is teaching you has no power behind it. It's just, you know, you believe and then you're accepted, and how does that motivate you to do anything? And so Paul begins to address this after just explaining the incredible power of the new covenant and how we all have access to God. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore... Since we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So he says, you know, because we have this access, we do change the way that we live. But we have to break this down to really see the inner workings of what it is. These words here, therefore and since, are very important. The therefore is because of this new covenant relationship, because Jesus Christ died for us on the cross, because we have such intimacy with God, why change the way that you live? Why be a moral person? Why try to live a good life if you're not going to be judged if you live a bad life? as a Christian, because we are close to God, because he died for us on the cross, and we are moved by the power of God's love. And as we move in proximity to God and we relate to him, we find ourselves desiring to be more like him, that his ways are better than our ways. So therefore, and since... Since God has asked us to serve, this incredible, all-powerful being that could have done anything, that really could and in some ways should have destroyed mankind because of all the evil that he's wrought, the rebellion in man's heart, it would have been completely appropriate for God to say this was a mistake and just start over. But instead, he has forgiven us He's drawn us to himself. He's begun to relate to us. And he's given us an opportunity to serve. So because those things are true, 
As we receive mercy, he says, we do not lose heart. Our motivation to continue, our motivation to live that moral life is because of God's mercy. God knows the human heart as the orchestrator and author of all things. He knit us together. He knows who we are. And there's something in you and there's something in me where if you say, don't do this or I'll kill you, we're like, boy, that's exciting. I wonder if I can get away with it, right? That's human nature. So God doesn't do that. God says, you're already forgiven and I love you whether you do this or not. And we're like, well, what's the fun in that? What's the fun in, not, in, in, in doing something if, if it's not bad or if it's not going to get me in trouble? And as a loving father, that's the relationship. It is understanding both his sacrifice and the weight of what he did on the cross. But what that reveals about his character, about who he is, that should impress us. That should, as we get in and understand the incredible glory of God's gospel, we understand in the deepest possible way the nature of who it is that we're contending with. And that it is, as the more you know and understand about God, the less you want to resist him and the more you just want to crawl up into his arms. That's how this is supposed to work. We're encouraged and empowered and fueled, not by shame, not by obligation, but by the fact that we are already fully loved, fully accepted, and forgiven. That's why we would want to live a more moral life. And what he's saying is, is because of all those things, we renounce evil. Now, that doesn't mean that we stop being evil or we stop doing evil, but it means that we agree with God about right and wrong. We accept him and his instruction, and we say what God says is right is right, and what God says is wrong is wrong. He's God. And when I look at my own life, I see a lot of areas where my life is out of line with God's will and God's character, and so I, I throw up my hands and say, I need your mercy, God, because I know that I am off track in so many ways. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for wanting to use me, even though I'm so far from who it is that you meant for me to be. And it motivates us to try to represent his nature, to try to bring some of him into the lives of people who don't know him by demonstrating what his love is like. That's why we try to change. That's why we want to change is because we're so impacted and impressed with who he is and with the idea that he would let us be representatives for him and the lives of other people. So he says in two, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. It's a little hard to understand the wording there. But here's the basic summary of what he's saying. Because we love God and because God loves us, we serve by trying to live out the truth, allowing others to see how God's ways are better than our ways. That's why. Now, if you've been walking with God for a while and you're a believer, you're like, yeah, that's, that's right. That's how this whole thing is supposed to work in theory, right? But a lot of things get in the way, at least in my life. 
I am very impressed with the love of God. I am very grateful. I am very excited about the fact that God has done all that he is. And the more I get to know him, just the deeper and, and, and more powerfully he impacts my heart. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that results in change. Because the flesh is deceitful. And there is something really, truly, and honestly wicked within myself that desires selfishness that wants to rebel against God even though I know how great he is. And so there's all kinds of stuff that gets in the way of God being able to demonstrate himself, his goodness, and his love through us. We forget to live out the truth. We forget that part, right? We get distracted by the cares of this world. We get involved and we get busy and we get uh, responsibilities and we start to see that there are shortcuts to comfort, there are shortcuts to success and power, and we begin very tempted to say, yes, I will be that person when I'm with my family and friends and when I go to church on Sunday morning, but when I go to work, I have to leave that stuff aside so I can move ahead, so that I can succeed. We also become fearful of letting people know why we live differently. Some of us are trying to live differently, and we have an actual impact on other people. And they look at us and they say, there's something different about you. Why, are, why, why do you do things this way when everyone else? And we're like, well, it was just the way I was raised. Giving the glory, I guess, to our parents. Or we say, well, you know, I've, I've had some experiences, and I just think this is a better way to go. Or we might even say, well, I'm a spiritual person and that's the result of my spiritual life. None of those things are going to lead people to the source of that true change. We have to utter the name Jesus sometimes, right? We've got to bring Jesus into the situation and, and, and let people know the source of this power that they're seeing in our lives. That question is God drawing them to himself. And our job is to let them know what the source of that power is. Not to mention the fact that the enemies of God seek to deceive the whole world about who God is. There is a powerful force that is trying to make the whole world believe that God doesn't exist or he's some kind of impersonal force or that he's a grumpy old man who hates fun you know, there are all these different versions where they're trying to distort the greatness of who God is and keep us worshiping ourselves. And so Paul talks about that in the next verse, and he says in, in verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world, lowercase g, the enemies of God that are operating and creating a system that is designed to keep us distracted from all these things, that we wouldn't see our need for God, that we would seek after filling the emptiness in our life with anything other than the God of the Bible, whether it was sex or love or family, or children, or work, or power, or whatever it is, or just comfort, that he would keep us distracted, constantly believing. And so many of us here have lived that life. We can tell you right now, we have tried it all. 
We've been everywhere looking and trying to figure out how to make ourselves feel good about ourselves, to feel whole. And we've gone from thing to thing to thing, always in hope, believing early on that this time we were, this person was really going to make the difference. This job is really going to make the difference. This income, this car, this house, whatever it is. And it seemed for a short while like it was going to work, and then it collapsed in and on itself, and we had to go and find something else. That's following after the God of this world and allowing our eyes to be veiled that we are spiritual beings created by God for a spiritual purpose, to love him and love one another. That's the key. And there's a whole system in place trying to distract people from that truth. And so we have this diminished light. We get in our own way. We trip up. We fail. We sin against people. We have a lot of ways that we fail to bring the power of God into our relationships. We cover up the good that what God wants to do. And the enemies of God are so good at pointing out every mistake that we make. And holding us up in the media and holding us up in the workplace and saying, you see this? This person who's a Christian, look at what an evil, hypocritical sinner they are. Look how judgmental they are. And the name of God is tarnished. And our light, his light through us is diminished because of all these efforts. How could God overcome so many obstacles? I mean, there's a lot at work here to kind of obscure the truth of the, and the way that God wants to use us in other people's lives. And the answer is simple. He doesn't rely on us. He doesn't send us out in our own power and our own strength to do this work. Paul says in verse 5 and 6, For we do not preach ourselves... But Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We don't go out there and, and just be a good person. We go out there realizing that we are inadequate for such things, that we are not good people. By definition, a Christian is somebody who's realized, I am not a good person. I need help. I need a Savior. And then the power of God can work through us as we kind of, our job is to kind of get out of the way and let God work through us and God bring his light. Under that understanding, it's actually God's enemies that have the more difficult task, if you think about it. You know, on the one hand, there's all these obstacles that get in the way, but the job of the enemies of God is to keep the light hidden in the midst of total darkness. Have you ever tried that? Take a light, you know, and try to hide it in dark. It just pours out. It just, it's such contrast to the dark. You can't keep light hidden. You have to extinguish it. You can't hide a light in the darkness. And what, what he's talking about is, is even if we love with the smallest amount, if God just somehow, by some miracle, a little bit of him shoots out in our relationship with somebody else, it has a huge impact because it's not of this world. It's supernatural. You let a little bit of true love, of self-sacrifice, of mercy, of compassion of generosity, a little bit of that comes out and somebody will look at you and just be like, 
what is that? Because the world is such a dark place. We immediately, because we are created as spiritual beings, we're attuned. Whether we love God or not, we're attuned to respond to something that's truly and authentically of God. It becomes this incredible light in the midst of a dark world. Even our minor efforts. We can even mistakenly, sometimes we don't even do it on purpose. God just moves and captures someone with his light because it stands out so starkly against the darkness. So the question then becomes for believers, how can I cooperate with God? How do I let more of his light, more of his power? I want to be a light in the midst of darkness. How do I let that happen more? And that was the question we kind of ended with last week, was how do I get back to depending on him and unleashing real spiritual power? How do we do that in our community? We talked about, we've got, you know, if we've got home groups where we're looking around and we're like, this is kind of lame and I'm, I, I don't, I'm not real excited about what God is doing here. It's kind of hard to go. Why is that? We need to bring the power of God. Our adequacy is not in ourselves. It is from him. We need to invite God into our times together, into our life, so that, and be mindful of ways that he would like to manifest himself through us. And so the way to do that is super easy. Here's the secret, guys. You just have to die. <laughs> That's it. That's the great mystery. Just die and everything will be fine. Now that sounds crazy, but that is essentially what he's saying here. But it's not just physical death that he's talking about. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. For we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also be, may be manifested in our body. Wow. What does that mean? Caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. That does not sound attractive. I'm not sure what that means, but I mean, caring about the dying in the body, the dying of Jesus. That does not sound like a good time. That sounds like it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. What happened when Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? That doesn't sound like caring about the, in the body, the dying of Jesus does not sound easy or light. What happened to our adequacy is from him and not in ourselves. We spent so much time studying that in 2 Corinthians And yet now it seems like we have a work to do. We have to carry about the dying of Jesus. Is it something that that is hard and that we have to work hard at and that it's up to us? Or is it something that is easy and burdenless that God provides the power for? Well, this is a a conversation that gets into this issue that uh, we refer to as our condition or our position. There are two different ways to talk about the, the, the situation of a believer before God, before men. And you can think about it this way. If this is you, this is who you are. Jesus said in John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you. 
Which if you think about that, that's kind of a weird thing. You, you live in me and I will live in you. Well, how do you both live in each other, right? And what he's saying here is there are two ways to look at this. There's this, you are in Christ, right? And this is so important. This is considered your position in Christ. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus, Because you are a part, you are in Christ. When he died for you on the cross and you received that gift of forgiveness, you were put into Christ. So that your nature and your, who you are, is covered by all that he is. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You are in Christ, loved, forgiven, and adopted as a child of God. When you accept Christ, you're forgiven, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you're filled with God's power to love. At the moment of faith, all of that happens. Read Ephesians chapter 1, and it is so clear that God gives us everything we need at the moment we receive him that the moment we receive his spirit, that all that we need to reflect his glory and his light and to, and to be used by him is already right there. That's your position. You are secure and redeemed in Christ. You are forgiven and nothing is ever going to change that. That's us abiding in Christ. Then why do I struggle so much? Why do I fail so much? If I have all access to all this power and God is ready to do all this through me and I'm in him, then why don't, why don't my choices look like Jesus' choices? Why does my life fall so far short continually as a Christian of what even I know I should be doing and how I should be living? I fall short of that all the time and that's because of your condition. Your condition is Jesus in you. You are still you. The problem is you are still you. You still have free will. You still have your past. You still have your weaknesses. You still have your strengths. You still have your propensities. And you don't have to let God work. Becoming a Christian isn't like being possessed, where it's just like Jesus walks around in your skin. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't want to dominate you with power. He wants to cooperate with you in love. And so he takes up residence inside of you and he speaks. But he doesn't force. He doesn't control you. You can insist on continuing to do things your own way with all that power of God inside of you. You can continue to live in darkness. You can continue believing that you are good. And that's, frankly, why we have a lot of problems in our culture with a lot of people say, I know a lot of Christians, and I don't think any one of them is someone I want to emulate. A lot of those people are true believers, but they're not walking with God, and they're not allowing the power of God to come through in their life. So again, we go back to that question, how can I cooperate with God to let his power shine through me? I need to die, Paul says, but how? Well, there's two specific ways we could talk about this. One is what Paul says in Galatians is sowing to the Spirit. Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
He's saying, look, if you do fleshly things, then you're going to have a fleshly life, and you're going to be drawn to fleshly things, and fleshly people are going to be around you, and fleshly consequences are going to result. But if you invest yourself in spiritual things, you set your mind on the Word of God, transformation will begin to happen, and you will become a more spiritual person, more spiritually attuned to the leading of God, because you have a greater spiritual focus. And so we have things like prayer and the word of God and fellowship and just saying yes to God. Just when God calls and says, I want you to talk to your neighbor, we say, okay, Lord, the answer is yes. That's sowing to the spirit. And what that process does, in a sense, is focuses the power of God in our lives and allows the direction of God, the leadership of God, the voice of God in our life to become louder and more clear. The other option, the other way that this works is what he's talking about here when he says that we have to persevere in the midst of suffering. Frankly, I want to be clear about this. You know, there are circumstances that are outside of our control, and even persecution and those kinds of things can happen, and those can have a refining effect in our lives. But I really don't think that's specifically what Paul is talking about here. I think what Paul is talking about is trying to be used by God and failing. The kind of brokenness that he's talking about here, where he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. He's talking about himself. And remember what's happened. He's alienated from the Corinthians. He just got kicked out of Ephesus. He's talking to them about all the difficulties that are happening right now, and now he's there alienated, and he's looking at his life, and he's saying, everywhere I go, I get thrown in jail, I get beaten, I get thrown out. The churches that I, that I help start, start taking on wrong theology. People come in and begin diminishing the teachings of Christ. And it's hard. I think Paul felt like a failure many times in his life because he wasn't able always to see the power of God at work. He knew that God was at work and that he was being faithful, but where were the results? And he says, I'm afflicted in every way. What Paul did was persevere through failure, trying to be used by God and it not working out. That's so important. People get this wrong. They think, you know, well, okay, I might serve in some way. I might have some opportunity, you know, but if I fail, well, it's just not for me, right? I'm just, I'm just not a leader. I'm not that type. I really can't. Uh, I'm just going to make a mess of things. And we all are just going to make a mess of things. That's, that's what the human condition is. We're messy, None of us knows how to do God's work. All of us fail. No one gets it right on the first time. You know, I look at my life and I think about the first person I tried to mentor and how terrible I did. The first teaching I ever gave, you know, was at a campsite with three of my friends. And I, you know, I was excited. I was going to pull out and I was going to be impressive, you know. And, you know, they're sitting there like, what, what's your main point? What? You know, nothing we do 
will we succeed in the way that we think that we should. We will fail again and again and again. As you present yourself to God and as you tell him yes, be prepared to mess it up massively. Because that's how we grow. That's how we grow. We talked about suffering in week two. And so I don't need to get through the specifics of the four ways we talked about how God works through suffering. You can go back and listen to that teaching uh, because there's a lot of interesting uh, nuances to each of these things that we talked about there. But what I want to talk about is more specifics on how failure, trying to do God's work, and failing work. And it rests here in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We're like a clay pot with this incredible thing inside. And God's got to get the pot out of the way so that that light can shine through. Dennis uses this example, and I think it's so, it's so great. I mean, who can... I, I just steal it. Because it's a, it's a great example of this illustration of what Paul is talking about, right? And it's the idea that, you know, you're this believer and you have this power of God within you. And as the new believer, it leaks out a little bit, right? You can't keep the darkness hidden. As somebody who has the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, you're still in control of your flesh to a great degree, but God will find ways to seek through. As you grow... That sense of power, that sense of leading, that sense of God speaking within you grows as you become a mature believer. But this process is insufficient. Word, fellowship, prayer, and those things are necessary, but not sufficient in most cases to complete the process. There has to be something else, namely failure. Because what does failure do? Failure teaches us that we can't do it, which is what we need to really not just intellectually know, but we really need to believe, we need to own that we can't do it if we're ever going to depend on the power of God. We are pre-wired to want to be our own God, and so even when we step out to do good things, we tend to want to do those things in our own power. Why? So we can take the credit so that we can have the glory. Look at what I did. Look at what I accomplished. And it's only after we fail and we are broken and we are brought to an end of ourselves do we begin to realize that I can't do this. And then God will work through us if we will persevere and continue trying, even though we know that we are failures. And then we see it working and we're like, that is God. That is not me. And that gives him the freedom to work in us more and more. That's the process. So we have thoughts like, I'm going to be the perfect husband or wife, right? I'm going to be somebody, I'm a Christian now, and oh, I can't wait till I get married. Or maybe you're already married and you've just become a Christian. And you're like, things are going to change in my marriage. I'm going to bring the power of God into my marriage, right? It's all going to be different. You ever make those pledges? From this day forth, I will be a better person. That's the hammer pulling back, right? <laughs> That's the sound of a hammer about to fall. Those kinds of pledges, right? And it begins to break away what Paul says is the outer man, the outer clay pot. 
shearing away the part of us. That's the death. That's what needs to die. That's why you need to die so that Christ can live, is God needs to pull away the parts of you that love yourself more than you love him. And the best way to do that is through failure. You know, we do things like, I'm going to be a much better parent than mine were, right? My kids are never going to, I will never say the things to my kids that my parents said to me, and it just doesn't work out that way, right? And these areas that are so important, the areas where if we could control ourselves, we surely would, because they are the things that are most important to us, right? Those seem to be the areas where we could control ourselves the least, The things that really matter are the areas where we see our failure the most. And it whittles away that outer man and allows the power of God to come through and allows true dependence to be able to happen if we persevere. If we don't give up. If we don't give up trying to let God work in our lives. None of us like to fail. A lot of us, we just look at it and we're like, well, I'm no good at that, so I'm not going to try. And that's the the formula for spiritual mediocrity. I'm no good at it, so I'm not going to try. And what does it presume? It presumes that it is all dependent on you and your power to get things done. I'm no good at it, so I'm going to persevere so that I can learn not how to be better at it, but how to be more dependent on God and how to let him work. How do I get out of the way? No one will ever lead a home group better than I can. These fools who are leading over me, wait till I can show them. And well, you get the idea. (laughs) How this kind of thinking, on the one hand, it's trying, and that's good. On the other hand, it's setting yourself up for the removal of, of the crusty outer parts so that God can work through you in a more powerful way. Peter talked about it in 1 Peter 6 this way. He says, And this we greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says it's like having all the impurities burned out. And what's left is the precious gold, the precious beauty of God's light. Our part is learning how to depend on him. Trying and failing and persevering. We have to say yes to God. If you don't say yes to God, then you can't be used. If you don't say yes to God, then you can't fail or succeed. Nothing happens if you tell God no. We have to want to follow God. We have to get ourselves into situations where we are clearly in over our heads. Why? Because we will not depend. We will fail to depend if we don't do this. We are trained to be independent, to to operate on our own power, And you have to get into situations where you realize, I am so far out of my pay grade here. I am so far out of my capabilities that the only way I'm even going to survive this is if God is real and he comes through. Now you're in a position where you can learn some things. But we instinctively avoid those things. Why? 
Because we're afraid to fail. We're afraid of the pain of failure. But that is the workshop where the lessons of dependence are taught. We have to reject self and embrace him. Let God work in you and learn to distrust your own flesh. What kind of believer are you? That's an interesting thing to reflect on. I think, you know, and sometimes these things aren't, you know, static. They're dynamic. Sometimes we reach points where we grow, and then that old outer man has a way of growing back, right? It has a way of, you know, maybe at one point it was like we were really broken. We were really learning to depend on him, you know, and then over slowly a period of time, the cares of the world got in the way, and the old man started building up his crusty shell and blocking out the power of God. And we've got to go back to the workshop and say, I don't, I, I don't know where things went wrong, but I want you, I want your light and your glory to shine through me, Lord. Who you are and what kind of believer you are has a lot more to do with your willingness than how long you've been a believer. You realize that? You can be a believer for 50 years and be at the very beginning of this process because you've never let God work in your life to tear down the outer self. This was part of the problem with the Corinthian church. You can say no to God and let your outer man stay stay strong. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul explains this to them, that this is exactly their condition. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? It's hard, but what he's saying is, is you should be further along than this. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you have the power of God within you, but you are acting just like everyone else. Don't be a 12-year-old baby. Don't be a 20-year-old baby. It's gross. It's, It's such a loss of what God could be doing within you And the answer to that is just saying yes. God will work powerfully through you if you will let his light shine through, if you will learn to depend. He closes the chapter here in 15. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want to close with a quote uh, from an author uh, that I've really been enjoying lately, and he speaks to this in a really cool way. He says, who but you could ever have snatched me from myself and turned all my hatred and contempt against my own bosom? I have not done this, for it is not by our own power that we depart from self. No, you, O Lord, did shine with your own light into the depth of my heart, which could not be reached by any other. 
and did there reveal the whole of my foulness. I know that even after beholding, I have not changed it, that I am still filthy in your sight, that my eyes have not been able to discover the extent of my pollution, but I have at least seen a part, and I desire to behold the whole. I am despised in my own sight, but the hope that I have in you causes me to live in peace, for I will neither flatter my defects nor suffer them to discourage me. I take your side, O God, against myself. It is only by your strength that I am able to do this. Behold what God has wrought within me. And you continue your work from day to day in cleansing me from the old Adam and building up the new. This is the new creation which is gradually going on. I leave myself, Father, in your hands. Make and remake this clay. Shape it or grind it into atoms. It is your own. It has nothing to say. Only let it be subservient to your ever-blessed designs and let nothing in me oppose your good pleasure for which I was created. Require, command, forbid, what would you have me do? What not do? Exalted or abased, rejoicing or suffering, do your work or lay aside. I will always praise you alike, ever yielding up all my own will to yours. Nothing remains for me but to adopt the language of Mary. Be it unto me according to your words. That is such a powerful example of what Paul is talking about here. Written by a guy named Francois Fenelon in 1651 in a book called Spiritual Progress. He looks like this. And you know what? He was a Catholic bishop, a French, a French Roman Catholic bishop. But he, was, he knew the Lord. And you know, if you're gonna go read Francois Fenelon, read with you know, uh, scrutiny, like anything else that you should read. But there are some amazing pictures out there of people who have grasped these kinds of truths. And I think that's one of them. Next time, I'm going to be gone for the next couple weeks, but next time we'll be back uh, talking about chapter 5, being ambassadors for Christ. Your scripture type reverse is 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. Let's talk a minute about scripture typer real quick. Uh, I've got our top 10 scripture typers here. These are people who have been doing these memory verses, and these are the top 10. I want to point out Liz Sweet has 197 successful attempts. I don't know whether to praise that or shame it. <laughs> She's one of our pastoral coaches here. She's ranked number uh, four, and her husband trailing right behind her at number five. Way to lead from the bottom, Scott. The thing is, these are the top 10. These people are doing awesome in these, in these verses, and they are all doing great with it. There are over 200 people that have signed up and that are doing these Bible memorizations. These are the top 10. Uh, notice whose name's not on there. Me. I'm, I'm number 12. I didn't even make the top 10. But... Uh, I just wanted to point it out because it's really cool. People are, are, are memorizing these passages. There are over 207 people that are signed up, but very few people are actually keeping up with it. You know? And we're not going to shame anybody. We're not here. I just shamed Scott, but he's my friend. Uh, we're, we're not here to shame people. We want to encourage you to 
look at this stuff and, and to take advantage. We've got 207 people that are on, but only the top 12 people are actually current with each verse each week. We're adding a verse a week, and if you're on there, let me just encourage you, do a verse a week and just get involved. Taking the time to memorize a passage like that is a great exercise. Let me just pray for us. God, uh, we hate to fail. We hate, you know, what Ross was saying there about how this reflects on us in the eyes of other people. We are so concerned with that, you know. And we also realize that we, uh, we do things from wrong motives all the time, and we can get paralyzed by just over-examining our motives and do nothing. But you are faithful, and you are good, and you have chosen to work through us in this relational way. And we recognize, God, that the only thing that really is our part is saying yes to you. And help us, God, to help us to see more clearly what are the areas where you're asking us for a yes right now. Help us to talk about those things and share those things and help us to move forward and to, to renounce this fear of failure, to renounce this uh, outer man who cares so much about how he looks in the eyes of others and just make us more and more useful to you and your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. This study was recorded at Xenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.